0: My name is Ian Power. I'm here with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, and this is the Home Discovery Show. In a few minutes from right now, we are going to Sweden. <laughs> no, we're not really going to Sweden. We're going to talk to somebody in Sweden. In fact, we're, we're going to speak to one of our regular guests, Egan Davis, who is the chief instructor of the horticulture program at UBC. And, of course, now having said that, knowing that we have to contact him in Sweden, he'll probably not not show up because we won't be able to get a hold of him, but we will. And when we do, we will, of course, uh, talk about what's going on, the reason for him being in Sweden, and also take your calls uh, and questions on anything having to do with your garden. And uh, we're right in the thick of it now. The weather, I think, has been pretty good for gardening of late. And uh, if you've got some issues or some problems or things that you want to know about, as it applies to your garden, well, we'll get you to call in uh, in just a couple of minutes from right now. So that's coming up. Uh, spending some time in Sweden. Have you been to the UBC Botanical Garden? I haven't had the pleasures yet. Oh. It's it is phenomenal. It really is nice. Uh, we were talking the other day. You were telling me how you took your family to Westham Island to do some berry picking. Yes. And you know the thing with berry picking that I like. If you're a city person like you and I are. When you go just across a, a bridge or two, you've got to go across that single bridge, mm-hmm. uh, Westham Island, if you're, that's where you're going. It could be Coquitlam. It could be uh, you could be in Mission. It doesn't matter where you're going to, to do this. Uh, it just really feels like you're so far away from reality. It's just a, a real chance in this hectic crazy world that we live in to rest your mind yes and uh you came away with a pretty good haul oh it was it was a real challenge to uh avoid the one for the bucket
1: one for the mouth um, <laughs> i respected the uh, the very polite notice there that says you know this is a business taste but please remind us this is a business yeah and uh it, w- it you're absolutely right it was the f- cell phone didn't exist i heard birds i heard uh, idle chatter in the background and it was um i could have fallen asleep in the field
0: and there was that rf coming off the wires overhead <laughs> no that's that's something different i didn't realize that then maybe we can talk to egan about this and, and and i couldn't even name any of them but i did not realize until recently that there's there's more than one kind of blueberry oh yes there's a whole variety of them because i but we, we got a hold of some organic berries blueberries that are we Get so caught up in this fruit that we get from California or from Mexico or from Chile. You think about it. If you've got something coming from Chile, it's, it's, it passes an awful lot of hands to get from there to here. And it practically walks the whole way itself. And so it doesn't always taste as good as it might. And then you get the strawberries here or the blueberries here. And the blueberries are actually – they're blue. Yes. They're, they're blue from the outside to the inside. Strawberries are red from – And so on, and and the raspberries and everything else. Because strawberries are done now. Yes, yes. Blueberries. Can you imagine? Here we are, first week of July, and the blueberries are already out. Yeah, it's something. It's it's weird. And yet, this summer so far, and I haven't done any. I haven't done the numbers, but this is a kind of a typical summer for Vancouver. Hmm. This is what we used to have on a regular basis. We'd have a bit of rain, lots of sun, a little bit of wind here and there this is kind of what we've had. And everybody's going, oh, well, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Well, the rain is falling. We've had a lot of that, but maybe we'll get into a nice long stretch now, July and August. And the good thing on that is we've had no real issues in Metro Vancouver in terms of water supply and usage. And uh, Metro Vancouver has suggested that most of us have caught on. Remember last year at this time we were talking about ratting out your neighbor? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, my neighbor's been sprinkling his lawn. I had a neighbor of mine do the same thing for three days straight. They they ran a sprinkler. Wow. They were out of town. Oh, no. They left the sprinkler on. They went out of town. You yeah. know, and, and I, did, I didn't I did call anybody. I just couldn't do it. I, I couldn't rat on my neighbor for that. Would you? I would go turn it, shut it off if I yeah, could. Yeah, well, you would because <laughs> he'd probably take some joy in that picking the lock on the fence and oh, well, no, trying to find the hose. <laughs> Aside from breaking and entering, of course. Doing all that kind of stuff. Um, one quick one for you. I, I was at a, uh, a barbecue on uh, Canada Day. Oh, yes. And Canada Day is one of my favorite days. It's great. You know, because we, unlike the Americans who do it so well when they have their Independence Day, which is coming up, of course, um, they, their, their civic, their national pride, I don't even get into the politics of nationalism, which is huge right now, of course, and we saw that in, in Britain, and that's that's an ugly side to it. But... When I grew up here, as you did, I mean, you look to the Americans, so patriotic. So, I mean, it's not uncommon to see an American flag on somebody's house, whereas here, you know, not so much. Right. And we've, over the years, we've slowly been getting better at being a little bit more proud or at least showing our, our pride for our country. And and not surprisingly, it's a lot of people that come from other countries to live here that really do the most in the way of mm-hmm. showing the, the red and the white so I was at this barbecue and sitting on this, this great and, and it's a, it backs onto a farm and it's, it's really nice, and sitting on this old wooden deck, an 88year-old farmhouse, and all's going well. And <laughs> on this deck, and I was sent a picture the next day, I said, "This is the deck that you were sitting on, and apparently somebody went right through. Oh no, <laughs> one of the, one of the boor- well nobody actually went right through, but I guess they went to sit on it the next day, and one of the boards gave way, and boom, there was a hole right in the, right wow. in the board. The good thing is is that nobody was hurt and that board is easily replaced. Sure. I'm thinking if you've got a composite deck, which are so popular right now, you would not be able to make that a quick repair. Uh, they're getting better as far as how they're installed, but uh,
1: the deck boards themselves would be in good in good shape or would would withstand some rot longer. But the superstructure, then the framing beneath, you don't often see that or check it. Yeah. And those could rot out if they're sitting in uh, uh, the po- support posts are sitting in water
0: or rotting away. We would certainly never know that. So the the question that came up was uh, with this deck, and from the structural perspective, what would this wood have been treated with originally? Then I'm talking about the structure that holds up the deck.
1: Well, they, if it was the old pressure treated, as we call it, it was called a CCA, which is a chromated uh, copper arsenate. And they're no longer using that one now. Or they're using an ACQ, which is another derivative of it, because they, they want to get rid of the arsenate out of the wood. And uh, it's still the same thing. It's a chemical treatment. It resists rot, resists bugs uh, for infestation, chewing on it, and it just provides more resistance than than an untreated piece of wood, wood. How about fire? Uh, it still burns. It's, uh, it's actually kind of noxious as well. So if you're thinking you want to burn your offcuts from your deck and provide some heat for your home or something, don't burn treated wood because it, it the gases that are produced from it are noxious.
0: well you think about uh in the past when you see uh, these wooden wharfs when they go up and they're the tree right. to treat it and it's just uh, the big huge black plumes of smoke which is probably the chemicals that mm-hmm. are burning off that's right and uh, not a lot of fun so anyway um what are you doing afterwards you want to replace a board <laughs> in a deck <laughs> mine first i kind of volunteered you i hope you don't mind sure yeah um uh, So we want to open up the phone, 604-280-9898, star 9898. We're going to turn over to Egan Davis, and we're going to try and connect with him in Sweden, and we're going to find out what he's doing. He promises me that he's got some things that he's going to tell us that we can try here that's not being done here, that's being done over there, and any questions we'll take uh, on what's happening in your garden. I know one of the things that's going to come up And I'll almost bet on it. And that's pests because that's where we're at now. Yes. They're they're getting into it. But people that are growing vegetables, it's a good year. The weather has been just perfect for it. So we'll talk to Egan Davis next. Your call is welcome, 604-280-9898 or star 9898. The Home Discovery Show back in a moment on News Talk 980, CKNW. Ian power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor on the Home Discovery Show. Uh, Egan Davis is an award-winning Red Seal horticulturalist with a background in private residential landscaping, greenhouse production, as well as Notables Van Dusen Botanical Garden, Park and Tilford Gardens. Uh, He also spent some time in Saskatoon at the Mendel Floral Conservatory, but they eventually let him out and he came to Vancouver, where he is now the chief instructor for the horticulture training program at UBC Botanical Garden. And he's joined us today for this summer gardening tune-up from Sweden. Good morning.
2: Hey, Ian, how are you?
0: Excellent. You can hear okay?
2: I can hear fine. The reception's great.
0: I guess we have a a slight delay, so we'll try to uh, work our way through that. Um, Where in Sweden are you?
2: Right now I'm um, east of Gothenburg, and I'm in the country in a really fantastic garden. It's about 15 acres, and... uh, I haven't seen anybody for three
0: days. Is that right? You just been you know, we were talking about that before we brought you on, Egan, we were talking about the experience of being in, for example, in a farm field uh, where berries are grown. As an example, Steve had gone out on Canada Day to pick with his family to pick some berries and and just what a feeling of of getting away and 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 how peaceful and how restful for the mind it can be. and I, I suspect that's kind of the experience that you're having right now
2: it is i just spent a month in the city and uh, this last week out here has been really quiet and i actually haven't felt like it reminds me of the summer holidays i used to take in elementary school you know that feeling of just letting go completely and uh, yeah it's just really terrific.
0: well this world that we live in you know this you know we always talk about the connected world and our smartphone is, is always at hand our tablet our computer our smart TVs and now smart appliances and everything's smart and everything's automated and and yet it was supposed to make our lives so much easier and in many ways it has of course but it's also made our minds so much busier and gardening is, is a surefire way to just let it all go and just as I say rest the mind and, and, and relax.
2: It's true and, and we live in, in, in the world that's so connected and we live in increasingly in a really busy urban world. And I think that is making people's uh, ability to engage nature with gardens so much more important.
0: So what's uh, what are they doing in Sweden? Now, when we talked earlier in the week or by email when we, when we exchanged email, uh, you had said uh, something along the lines that what is being done now in Sweden is just so far ahead or different than what we're doing here.
2: It is, and especially in the high-density urban areas there are large, large park areas that are dedicated not only to just parks with uh, gardens, but really, really sophisticated gardens. They're bringing garden designers, they're using their own garden designers here in Sweden and bringing the best garden designers from around the world to design these really, really detailed, sophisticated, beautiful gardens, and they're just putting them right smack in the middle of you know um, a, a very dense apartment buildings and and it 's a gift to the community and, and there 's nothing like that that i 've seen anywhere in North America anyways
0: yeah, I know that it is, is very popular in parts of Asia and some parts of Europe where they uh, and in some cities in North America, too, to give them credit, though I can't name any, uh, I think even in downtown Vancouver, we see a little bit of this sort of, uh, this idea of bringing some green space, some gardens, some vegetation, some trees into the area to just to, if if only for aesthetics. But there's far much more value than just simply to make it look beautiful, I think.
2: It is. And, and you know, our gardens that we associate with, you um, they're really still an interpretation of the Victorian garden style, which was purely an aesthetic expression, but I think now, um, with our increased awareness and the impact that we're having on the environment, uh, we realize that aesthetics are important, but there's other other aspects to, of course, growing food, but even just the you know the flowering plants that bring insects and butterflies and shrubs that bring birds into our urban environments. I think, I think the, the next step forward for gardening is to really, really understand how to do that really well and how to do that in such a way where we're not having to intervene with these um, creations and add and water and fertiliser. It'd be nice to move away from that. And, and I think that's what's happening in Europe. And, and I know we're talking about it in Canada. I hear it being talked about, but it, it, it's happening um there's a garden in uh, New York, uh, the High Line, an old abandoned railway track. Mm-hmm. And um, and there's a couple of places. There's a, a garden in Chicago, uh, which is, uh, is, is in that style. But um, there's a lot of that happening here in Europe.
0: Do you think that in Sweden, and based on your experience having been there for, for a little while now, uh, are the Swedes more in tune with their ecology and, and their want for sustainability? I think we're just getting on that, and I i i sense that maybe they're a bit ahead on on that sort of front
2: i think i think um they are i mean they certainly have recycling down they've been recycling for decades longer than we have and they do it very well here but um it's sweden is an interesting country because there are some cities but there's a lot of forested area and, and people are very connected with the forest in fact uh Tomorrow I'm going uh, uh, mushroom picking. We're picking chanterelles. And this is a really common type of activity for even people in the city. They're very connected with nature here.
0: Mm-hmm. How, what do we need to do to turn ourselves a little bit more towards our our natural environment or even our, our built environment when we build our gardens? Uh, uh, how, how do we get people more in tune? I mean, we've got a city that's full of bike riders, and uh, we've got people that like to walk the seawall and... And that's becoming more and more of the the daily routine. And many, many people, as you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons we we, we invite you is because we want people to talk about their gardens and what they're doing. And we're going to take some calls in just a moment, Egan. But do you think there's anything that we can do based on what you're seeing in Europe that we can do better at getting people more engaged with not just the growing of food, while that's important, but also to engage more with their surroundings?
2: Yeah, I think the um, the fact that this is happening in the public space in such a really big way. I think uh, I think in the public, the public spaces, the the shared spaces. These are areas that we can we can do a better job in terms of of really, really, really um, understanding what garden ecology is in those public spaces, and for the individuals, grow plants, grow flowers. I mean, I. I think it's uh, even if you've just got a couple containers on a balcony, it's really important to to green our cities and, and to grow plants.
0: Last question, just before we turn it, turn you over to some listener calls. Uh, I'm interested uh, in in you as uh, as a, as a horticulturalist, as a gardener, somebody who is the chief instructor at the uh, UBC Botanical Garden, the training program there. Uh, you're on your your vacation time now. Uh, most. People might not want to, you know. If I, if, if I, I guess if you work in a mine, uh, the last thing you want to do is go <laughs> underground when you're, when you're on holiday. Um, I don't know if that's such a great example, but uh, what are you doing on a? you gardening on your holiday.
2: I know. I, I you know, Ian. I really, um, I love what I do, and uh, right now I'm at Peter Korn's garden in Sweden, and he's away, and I'm looking after it. And he's given me a couple of projects. Like today, I was building a rock wall and. I was working in the nursery earlier, and, and I really, really love it. It's just a chance for me to do it quietly and do it on my own. Um, in, in the times, so I was at, at Gothenburg Botanic Garden, too, for a month, and I uh, exactly, I chose my holiday. I chose to, to spend my holiday working at a botanic garden in Gothenburg. For it, it's just what I, I really love it.
0: Well, that's good. My idea of a holiday. And we appreciate your love for what you do, and uh, and, and we always enjoy having you on. And would you mind taking some calls? Oh, I'd love to. Okay, let's start with uh, Erica. Good morning, Erica.
3: Good morning. Um, You touched on that, about the natural insect control in the garden, that we get away from insecticides and pesticide use. And um, the birds are very, very important in insect control, but we're clear-cutting everything. The trees are coming down, we're cutting back. I'm glad you said that people with a balcony should even have something there, a little bush or a little shrub. Um, and I found uh, birds, to attract birds, a water source is a big deal, and we put out birdhouses and bird feeders in winters. And I'm also trying to grow shrubs and trees that have fruit for birds. Could you talk about that, and could you talk about other um, uh, natural and uh, other natural ways for insect control?
2: For insect control. You know something, all my time as a gardener, there's only the odd time where a plant is infested with insects and if that's the case get rid of it and grow something else there are so many things that grow so easily without being attacked by insects so that's the one thing and in terms of birds it's amazing and you're right we are clear-cutting everything and there's uh, there's such an importance to shrubs and trees for purchase for birds I mean these are really important things and and then uh, flowers, of course, for insects that allow the birds to, you know, for inse- uh, birds that feed on insects and and ground cover for, you know, that allow the birds to get the, the, the ground, you know, protected way. But, Erica, all the things you talked about are, are bang on.
0: Let me follow that up with this. What about people that are putting bird feeders out in their backyards and, and now in this world that we live in where we've encroached upon all of uh, nature's creatures – uh, they're putting bird feeders out as an example, and they're attracting rats and and raccoons yeah. and, and, and a variety of other uh, what we now call pests.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, quite honestly, um, I I really enjoy seeing birds in a garden, and I really don't believe that we need to be putting out feeders. Uh, even hummingbird feeders, they're they're good, and hummingbirds like them. But then you have to keep up with that. But it, it's so much. I think it's so much nicer to see hummingbirds visit flowers, you know. Yeah. And when you have a garden area and you have all those components that the animals want, and to see the you know the nature come to your garden, you don't have to put up these contrived um, feeders and houses and whatnot. It all just happens, and that's uh, I, you know it's uh, letting go of that control. I think.
0: So, in place of a feeder, for example, because I mean, anybody who puts out a feeder is doing it for the right reason. They want to. They want to yeah, be helpful then in that case, uh, planning is a little bit more important than just putting up a, uh, a, a feeder, which is, is pretty simple to do. Let's just hang on for a second, uh, Egan. We'll sure. take a break for the news. We'll come back. Dorothy, you're next. Sure. Uh, if you've got a question for Egan Davis about gardening or anything having to do with horticulture, We're at 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you're mobile. Egan Davis is the chief instructor at the UBC Horticulture Program, and we're talking to him. He's just outside of Gothenburg, Sweden. So we're going long distance on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. We're talking to Egan Davis. Egan Davis is a Red Seal horticulturalist. He is also the chief instructor for the horticulture training program at UBC Botanical Garden. We'll talk about that a little bit too in a few moments. In the meantime, uh, uh, Egan is just outside of Gothenburgs in Sweden. So we're going long distance today and if you have a question about your garden here at home in Metro Vancouver, by all means join us at 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you're on your uh, mobile device. Um, what's the weather like there where you are?
2: It's, uh, it doesn't get dark until two in the morning and then the sun comes up to three and uh, it's, it's interesting. The weather's not very stable and Big cloud systems come through and showers and then it's sunny. Uh, it's a different climate, that's for sure.
0: But ideal growing conditions, no?
2: It is, although two weeks ago it was 28 degrees in the day and then um, a cold system came through and there was frost uh, here in the garden. So so I would say the climate here is, is um, quite unstable, but it rains more in the summer and uh, you have a mix of rain and sun and rain and sun, so in that way it's very good for gardening.
0: Good morning, Dorothy.
3: Good morning. Um, I have a couple of questions. Um, I have to, uh, tomato plants, and the leaves are curling. And um, it's giving me all kinds of tomatoes, but uh, I'm concerned that I might lose the plant.
2: Okay, Dorothy. Well, tomatoes are annual plants, and so the, the leaf curl, it could be a fungal issue. But if the tomatoes are in good shape, um, you know, get what you can out of it, and don't worry about the long term. I mean, is there a problem right now?
3: Uh, fruit. Oh no! The fruit is perfect. Fruit yeah, is perfect. Yeah, um,
2: just continue through. I mean, give the tomatoes would appreciate uh, as much airflow as possible and a dry, a dry overhead cover so that the foliage doesn't get uh, wet. And so those things will help. But okay. if you're getting good fruit, because it's an annual plant, just you know keep the fruit and uh, and live with the curling leaves.
3: Okay, I'll pull it in under cover then, um, and then one other thing, okay. my roses, for whatever yeah. reason um, it's the best year I've ever had as far as blooms, but um, my leaves are I don't know if they're being eaten or what, but um something's happening.
2: Oh, there's um leaf cutter bee actually, I don't know if that's what it is, but leaf cutter bees will take sort of c shaped chunks of leaves away and uh, make their nests with them. So if something's nibbling on your leaves, it's awesome to be. But um, without seeing a picture, I couldn't tell you for sure.
3: Okay. This is sort of like uh, the outline is still there, but uh, it's just everything inside. Like, there aren't any chunks. It's almost like um, netting. If I... Oh.
2: Ah. Pear slug, Pear slug. Oh. Yeah, just look underneath the leaves and see if you can uh, squish a few uh, slug-like larvae. I think that's okay. what's happening.
3: Okay. Thank you so much.
0: Nice to hear from you, Dorothy. Okay. Thank you for your call. Uh, let's move over to Bob. How you doing, Bob? Oh, hi. Uh, hello. Hi there. Yeah, Go ahead.
4: Hi. I. Um, yeah. Well, slugs and bugs and everything else. We've got raccoons to top it all off, and uh, they're they're just kind of a nuisance. You know, they dig up the gardens and the bulbs and everything like that, and then they defecate.
0: You want a nuisance for a raccoon? Wait till they open up your roof and make a home inside your attic. That's when you know you got a nuisance. Yeah, I I've seen that happen but not in my own home. Any ideas uh Egan on uh, controlling things like raccoons from from getting into your garden and making a mess as they're so good at?
2: You know, I tried fox urine one time and it worked really well, but it smelled really really bad. So, uh, mm. that was the best I could come up with, but uh they can be they can be pesty, that's for sure.
4: Yeah, uh, where would you purchase that? At a hunting
2: supply store, actually, and, um, and you can get it. And uh, we just used it once years ago to keep raccoons from eating bulbs and it worked really well, but it smelled really bad. But I mean, you could try that and then see if they get the, you know, the idea to go somewhere else and maybe a short term sacrifice with the smell uh, will give you some long term results. I don't know.
0: Bob, I, I would ask you, is it the garden that they're attracted to? Obviously, they're looking for food. That's what brings them in.
4: Well, that's not the whole thing. We have a water feature in the yard.
0: You, okay, that was the next point. Yeah. yeah. Do you have fish as well? No. Okay, because, yeah, they love koi. And they, well, apparently, what they do is they come in and they wash their food in your water feature. And yeah. They're very, very clean, very very well-groomed.
4: Well, we we have had the odd uh, humorous occasion uh, in the early winter, uh they bring their you know, their new their new ones in, and the new ones frolic around in the water feature, and so it's quite entertaining, mm-hmm. but then reality sets in. And yeah,
0: it's a big pain, and it's a big cleanup. I uh, appreciate what you're saying. Give that a try, and uh, I'd love for you to follow up and let us know if that works for you, because if it doesn't, we'll all have to fly over to Gothenburg, Sweden, and, and give vegan what for. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Uh, one more call before the break. Uh, Manjeet, good morning.
5: Good morning, sir. Good morning. Uh, I have a question to uh, your uh, fellow. Sure. Uh, it's regarding the ants in the garden, uh, specifically on the spinach leaves and swiss uh, char leaves. They're smaller. Uh, actually, I have uh, ants in my uh, driveway as well, which is right beside the garden. I have tried the raid. I tried the smaller of those plastic containers that have some some sort of waxy stuff they say they will take down to their burrows and uh, the colony will die. It didn't happen. And then somebody told me mm-hmm. that, you know, if you try a soapy water, a natural uh, or a less chemical uh, thing, that, try soapy water on that, that might wash it off or uh, they won't, uh, they won't uh, be there anymore. But what happens, they, small little black uh, egg-type things uh, occur at the back of the leaves and the leaves curl to the back and crumble and uh, their growth stops. So just trying to find any non-chemical solution for that—that's uh, that's my problem.
2: Well, um, as you're describing—you um, have you might have ants in your driveway, but what you're describing on your other plants uh, sounds like aphids to me. And um, the soap, soapy water can work, but then you know you're talking about uh, plants that you're wanting to eat, and so um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. And the other thing is, if you kill the aphids two days later all the babies that you can't even see, you know, aphids give birth to, they give live birth to um, uh, baby aphids that are born pregnant. And every 10 days, your populations can just quadruple. And so um, what I would suggest actually is every couple of days going out there with a, a hose and just washing them off and using your fingers and squishing them. I mean, it sounds like a lot of work, but that's the, best, that's the best way to take care of acids, I think.
0: And if you do have ants on your concrete, uh, if, they're, if they're concrete ants, as they're known, uh, they're not the carpenter ants, uh, if you're not controlling it with that, uh, you might have to get somebody in who's got something that's a little bit stronger than what you can get off the shelf. One thing that I tried, uh, Manjeet, that you might want to try and was very effective for me, and that's vinegar. And that seemed to, to hold them at bay. So you might want to give that a try on your driveway, not in your garden. Uh, we're going to he- head for a break here, Egan, just quickly on this this idea of aphids. And I know you ha- you've been out of town, but it seems to me that we're having a really, really, uh, or, or the aphids are, not us so much, but the aphids are incredibly prolific and perhaps more plentiful than in years past.
2: Mm, I hear it's been um, raining... Uh, there's been rain and sun, and so it sounds like plants are probably growing really soft and juicy, and the aphids love that.
0: Yeah, and uh, anybody who's ever parked under a tree only to come back to their car to have it all kind of sticky and it's got that that mm-hmm. clear film on it, we all know what that is. And 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 yeah, it's a, it's an easy wash, but it's not fun, especially if you have it. No, I have it. Uh, one of the trees I have in my backyard has aphids, and it, it uh, they're all coming down on my. On my concrete patio, which you know that's not fun, it's it's pretty sticky. So I'm constantly having to wash it off. Is there anything that I could do to to abate some of these uh, these aphids?
2: You know, there really isn't. Um, the two trees that get the aphids the worst are uh, they grow fast and they're cheap, and so they get planted a lot. And they're tulip trees and lindens. Hmm. And um, you know, years ago, I, I when I worked at Park and Tilford, we managed the aphids on the uh, parking lot with a fire hose. Oh, really? And, uh, we went out and blasted all the trees off of the fire hose, and it worked, actually. It, it cleaned them all up, but it only lasted three weeks, and then their populations just bounced right back. But um, uh, it you know, worked quite well, but I don't think you're going to have access to the fire hose at your property.
0: Well. <laughs> I I am connected, you know. Uh, Egan Davis is just outside of Gothenburg, uh, Sweden, and we're talking long distance today. Egan Davis is a regular guest on the Home Discovery Show. He's the chief instructor for the Horticulture Training Program at UBC Botanical Garden. We're uh, on a long weekend, and we're tending to the garden. Questions, comments, concerns about your garden, your landscape? 604-280-9898 or Star 9898 if you're using your cell phone. We'll take a quick break. More from you and Egan Davis when we come back on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power back with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, on the Home Discovery Show. For a long weekend, we're talking about gardening, landscaping, horticulture in general our guest uh, from just outside of Gothenburg in Sweden is Vancouver's very own Egan Davis who's a Red Seal horticulturalist he's also the chief instructor at the UBC uh, Botanical Garden he's there at the 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 horticulture training program Uh, that program starts in September do you have a full roster you're still recruiting we do, Ian. We're just sorting out
2: the last few confirmations, and we've got a, a healthy waiting list to pick from. So anybody who's interested, uh, you know, I suggest to come down and, and visit us in September um, and uh, and see if the uh, program's uh, something that you want to do, and you can apply for next year.
0: Right. Okay. So, so this is how popular this program has, uh, has come, because in the <laughs> earliest days, while you had uh, a good contingent of people wanting to take the program uh now you've got a lineup and people want to get in There's the levels one and two and uh this is a recognized program that is growing it's uh, only what five years now in the running
2: yeah that's right it's going into it uh, it's going into its fifth year actually and and the program just keeps getting better and better and better as uh as we kind of uh, keep finding our groove. And uh, last year was stellar, and I'm really looking forward to a, another terrific year.
0: Good. Well, we're looking forward to getting you back in town. Uh, in the meanwhile, let's uh, get some more calls on so we can help out Colleen. Good morning. Colleen, you there?
3: Oh, I'm here. Um, I have a, a young blue spruce tree, and I don't know whether I wanted to go as tall as it will, like 10 feet or what not. Yeah, but if I cut it, now would it make a good hedge?
2: Uh, blue spruce don't make good hedges. No. They they need to be planted somewhere where they're nice and open. They get spruce mite actually, and and hedges are dense, and and spruce mites love density. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a nice plant to put on its own somewhere with lots of airflow.
3: That's my problem. Mike. i was sitting right next to a pear tree. Um. I put it in by mistake. Uh, so I guess I'm. If anybody out there like a nice
0: young blue spruce. I'll call Howard Hughes and see what he has to say. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Colleen. Good Appreciate that. that. Uh, have you ever heard of this uh, this uh, invasive plant that's now uh, being used as hedging? And I believe it's uh, the 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 common name is chocolate ivy.
2: Chocolate ivy.
0: Apparently, it grows it grows vertically. It's like a typical vine. It's invasive, and it, and when it moves in, it it moves in big time. But a lot of people are using it for hedging now. Apparently.
2: Oh, I'm sure I know what it is. I just don't know the common
3: name, chocolate ivy. I'm going to look that up as soon as we're done.
0: Yeah, I'll have to check on that and get get a better name for you, uh, Doreen. Good morning to you.
3: Good morning. My grandmother came from Gothenburg, Sweden. So I'm glad oh, to no speak boy. with someone there. <laughs> Um, I have...
0: What's she serving for lunch?
3: (laughs) I bought um, a place a year ago, and on the boulevard, they didn't contain the bamboo, and it's starting to grow a foot a week all over the place.
2: Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, bamboo. You know, the, the good thing about bamboo, it's aggressive, but it doesn't root that deeply. So you need somebody who can dig, but if you dig it, and you you don't have to go that deep, and it forms like a mat of rhizomes, you can win. But the only answer is um, you can use a small machine or a shovel. But once it's gone, it's gone. The only thing is if it's in the roots of trees, that's when it gets difficult.
0: How do you dispose of the bamboo if you decide to to put your back into it, to remove it, and and to get it out of the way? Then what do you do with it?
2: You think that, you know, you take it to the the city the the green waste at the dump at the landfill um when they compost all the green waste they aggressively aerate it and it heats up to a point where the bamboo rhizomes die so so it's actually not that big a deal to get rid of and
0: what uh, what what should we be doing right now with our common backyard compost is now a good time to a turn it over and b maybe spread it around a little bit
2: you can always turn over your compost. You know, the thing is with compost is um, there's a lot you can learn about compost, but if you don't feel like it, you can just literally pile up your green waste and let it decompose. And the time to spread it is when it, uh, when it looks like soil and it's black. So uh, anytime you've seen that you have, uh, you know, ready-made compost, spread it around. And uh, the more you turn it, the faster it will decompose. So anytime you feel like you've got the energy, go for it.
0: One more break, again, and we'll come back. More people want to talk to you on the line at 604-280-9898, mobile number star 9898. We're talking gardening, landscaping with... Our Red Seal Horticulturalist from UBC Botanical Garden, Egan Davis, who's, uh, we're talking to him long distance. He's in Sweden this morning, and we're back in a moment on the Home Discovery Show from News Talk 980 CKNW. Ian Power back with you, along with Steve Seaborn, the little contractor. And Egan Davis joins us from just outside of Gothenburg, Sweden. He is there on a a working vacation. Most of the time, you'll find him at UBC Botanical Garden, where he is the chief instructor for the horticulture training program. And uh, Glenn, uh, you have a suggestion for the bamboo? Glenn? Hello. Hi, Glenn.
6: Yes, listen, your last caller was talking about bamboo, and I'm going to bet that it's actually Japanese knotwood, because I was confused, too. They kind of look the same. Um, we I phoned because I know it's an invasive species out here, and there's uh, the, the, the districts, all of the districts in the lower mainland, I take it seriously, and if you see it and it's on public property, they will come out and try to eradicate it. One thing I found interesting with the Japanese knotwood, right now apparently the labeling, they used to try to inject the canes. I've got some areas where the knotweed is, is near a watercourse, and they, they can no longer inject the canes because the labeling on the, on the, the Roundup by Cicerine or whatever it's called is, is not correct. So they have to spray it. That isn't a, so I'm just wondering if they're going to try to relabel those things so that we can go back and inject the actual cane so that you're not actually doing a spray on you know, and possibly over-spraying on,
2: on, on native
0: plants. Okay, Glenn, uh, good call. Let's uh, get Egan to to respond to that.
2: You know, it's really uh, scary. The Japanese knotweed, there's a new variety called uh, Fallopia bohemica, and it actually seeds. The old variety didn't seed, and now this one, they're finding is self-seeding in the seed bank, and the soil is really aggressive. So it's it's truly very scary.
0: Do you have any thoughts about injecting or using these uh, uh, pesticides, insecticides, or different chemicals that, that, that he suggested?
4: Well, I have
2: a friend who's uh, from uh, doing some research at SFU, and, um, and she's finding that a lot of the plants are actually becoming resistant to glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup. So the Roundup treatment um, might not even actually work in the future with these plants. It, it is really scary.
0: Good morning, Alan. Really Good morning. Hello? Yep, we're listening.
6: Okay, um, I got rid of my weeds, dandelions and stuff. Everything was great. About two weeks later, I got nothing but this horsetail stuff, and it oh. is is going like nothing seems to stop it. Any ideas? Yeah,
2: yeah actually, horsetails, don't even bother trying to dig it because, it's uh, as far as you dig, it will be deeper. But the thing, the nice thing about a horsetail is plant something that's knee high. You just go to the nursery and, and look for plants that are knee high. And if you can get something that's, you know, two feet tall, the horsetail will go dormant. And so you just have to cover the ground with things that are taller than it. And it works really well.
0: Okay. There you go, Alan. Good call. Thank you. Um, on the idea of dormancy, and my favorite topic, of course, is my lawn. Which I'm, which I'm. Well, it's going actually really well because I I re I put down. I took your suggestion, and uh, went on. Steve and I installed the the sod, and it's it's going quite well. Uh, At what point should I expect that new lawn of mine to go dormant this summer?
2: Well, I mean, when when Vancouver gets that hot uh, dry spell in July and August. And when that happens, if you can allow it to go dormant, it, it'll come back in September and be green again. So, so I hear the weather's been um, cool with a bit of rain, but it'll probably heat up and stay sunny for a while. And my guess is the middle of July.
0: That's what we're hoping for. Uh, and then, uh, and we'll get to it when we get to it. But I, I guess with any dormant lawn, uh, once the, the summer is done and the rainy season comes back in the fall, is it at that point then when uh, you would want to see overseeding?
2: Yeah, absolutely. With uh, September is a great month for germinating seeds. You've, you've got dew on the ground. And so, you know, second week of September, you, know, you can get out there and, and overseed, and that's a great idea.
0: What's next for you on your great Eurovi- uh, European landscaping vacation?
2: Oh, uh, yeah. No, I'm uh, heading off in a week and a half and going down to Germany for a few days and see some gardens there. And then um, my partner's joining me and we're going to her homeland of Bulgaria where we go in the summers and spend a couple of weeks there on the Black Sea and in the Rodopi Mountains. So, so it's um, and then back to Vancouver for the first week of August.
0: Steve uh, made the comment that he's never heard you sound so relaxed.
2: <laughs> it, actually, you know what? It's true. Right now, um, I couldn't be more relaxed.
0: You're just right com- you're completely blissed out <laughs> right now what what time of day is it what time of day is it now where you are
2: It's eight o'clock
0: in the morning or night
2: and there's a, at night and there's a monkey's wedding right now. It's sunny and it's just pouring rain it's uh the big black cloud but otherwise a blue sunny sky and it's just dumping so it's uh it's interesting here.
0: We uh, wish you a continued uh, uh, holiday uh, to, to have a, a learning experience and, and enjoy yourself and a, a safe return back. And we'll look forward to catching up with you again. We thank you so much for your time today.
2: Thanks, Ian. It's been really great talking to you today, and uh, have, a, have a great day.
0: Appreciate it. Egan Davis, an award-winning Red Seal horticulturalist. He is also the chief instructor for the UBC a horticulture training program at the Botanical Garden. And uh, you're welcome as uh, the public to join the garden at any time to have a tour around. It really is a feast for the eyes and the other senses. Uh, it's just a fantastic place to get away for an afternoon. To, uh, for Steve Seaborn, the little contractor, Mike Given, our technical producer, my name is Ian Power. Uh, stay with us for Vancouver Consumer. This is the Home Discovery Show on News Talk 980 CKNW.